Good morning, folks. Good morning. It is great to see you here. In, uh, it's a privilege to be here as well. I want to say this before anything. I love this church. I think this is about the fourth or fifth time I've been here over the course of, what, seven years? This is seven years, which has been amazing. So I, I've had the privilege of being here many times, so it is wonderful. So I don't feel like a guest speaker. I feel like a friend. Is that okay? I feel like a friend coming amongst God's people. I love John and Julie and all the elders. It's just been wonderful. Sean and I and the kids are staying in Ali and Emily Murray's house. They're on holiday. So they rang us up and said, do you want to come and have a holiday in our house? And it worked out perfect for us because we were at a wedding. We've been invited to a wedding up north yesterday. We were up by Bush Mills. And uh, my kids have really enjoyed it. Being city kids and city folk, being able to go to a farm and seeing cows and cows get milked by robots. No, no word of a lie. Lasers, the full it. It was amazing. It was amazing seeing a sheepdog and seeing cows poo and all that sort of stuff. It's just been really, really exciting and a real privilege. But it's also been a real privilege to see how beautiful your country is. It is beautiful. When I've been here in the past, it's been a flying visit. I've, I've come in, I've come out. But being able to travel around and visit the magic road in the, in the Moor Mountains where you drive down and then you roll back up, that is madness. All right, there is no way, there's nothing that can explain that. That's a question I have for Jesus when I see him. How does that work? My kids went nuts over that. It's been amazing. So I can see why they call it God's country uh, now. But obviously it comes after me living in God's city, Liverpool, which, which it is. But it's been a privilege uh, to spend a week's holiday and a privilege to be with you guys as well this morning. Can I pray? And then we'll get stuck into what we're going to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us, we pray, by your spirit. And we pray that you would speak to us today. Pray that the meditation of our hearts and the words of my mouth will be acceptable before you, our God and our Redeemer. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. What is your story with pain and suffering? What are the things that have occurred in your life, circumstances, situations that have brought pain that has shaped your soul? That has shaped your understanding of life and your understanding of God? Or what are the, some of the questions that, that you struggle with? The questions that you frequently have when pain or suffering or difficult circumstances come into your life? Or another question, what do you do? What do you do in times of pain? And in times of suffering, how do you respond? I was reminded of the story of Joni Erickson Tarder, who's a Christian speaker, author. She runs a charity called Joni and Friends. And the specific aim of the charity is to share the gospel and give practical help to people who are disabled. Now, Joni, as she grew, grew up, was part of a real sporty family. Both her parents were, were quite high elite athletes were involved in sport and she loved sport as well and at the age of 17 she dived into Chesapeake Bay but completely misunderstanding and completely uh, misjudging the shallowness of the water she hit her head on the bottom as a result she suffered a fracture of her neck and became a quadriplegic paralyzed from the shoulders down in the story that I was hearing, she describes that for weeks she refused to get out of bed. When she was told that her paralysis was permanent, 
she said that she died inside. It was a young girl, 17, full of life, riddled with confusion, riddled with anger, riddled with pain, dread, fear, disappointment, and in the midst of that, just wanting to die. So one day, when in the midst of all the pain, she shouted out to God and she said this, God, if I can't die, please show me how to live. God, if I can't die, please show me how to live. That cry to God coincided with a Bible study that she was doing a friend through the book of Lamentations. And when they got to Lamentations chapter 3, she read this. I am the man who has seen affliction under the wrath of his wrath, God's wrath. God, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Joni says that as she read this, she thought, this is me. This is how I feel about my situation. And this is how I feel about God. But Joni's reaction to what she read actually caused her to marvel. Marvel that the very words that she was reading were actually, even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the suffering, were helping her express what she was feeling about her situation and about what she was feeling about God. And she also marveled that the very words that she, were read, which she was reading were the very words that came from God himself. She said that she was amazed because she came to realize that God welcomes our passionate expressions of grief and sorrow. That God welcomes our laments. And he welcomes them so much that he has even given us words to help us describe what we are feeling. Joni came to realize the freedom of knowing that God wants us to come to him with our laments, of knowing that he understands and in her words, when we are in pain, God feels the sting in his own chest. Folks, we don't need to be in a wheelchair, do we? In fact, we don't even need to lose a child to know that sometimes sad situations don't get better. The problems don't always get solved. The conflicts don't always get fixed. The people get divorced. The people are lonely. The people get sick. And ultimately, death rocks our worlds and it shakes our faith. And I felt that. I've known that personally. But not only personally, I've known it as a pastor and been in ministry for probably about 17 years now of walking many miles of sorrow with many people who suffer because of the brokenness of this world. And this past year has been painful, hasn't it? For so many of us. In fact, it's been painful for all of us. At best, it's been tedious. At worst, it's been heartbreaking. And we've experienced things that we never thought that we would experience. And the temptation for the church is this. For the temptation for the church that I lead back in Liverpool, that's also called Cornerstone Church. 
And I know the temptation for your church is that, is that we as a people who like to move forward, who like to take ground for the gospel, a people who thrive in and through change, is that we could draw a line over the last 18 months and press on to what we think God has for us when the irony being that God wants us to, what God wants us to do is actually to come to him in the reality of our pain and he wants us to lament together all that we are experiencing. Now, folks, I know this to be true of you. It's true of the church that I'm involved in. We want to proclaim hope in the midst of our brokenness and encouragement to trust God in the midst of our pain. But encouragement and hope in the, with the absence of lament invalidates a suffered experience. It says, you should be happy and hopeful always without saying, we mourn with you because what you are experiencing isn't what you were made for. And it's hard and it's painful. And without an understanding of biblical lament... Without an understanding of knowing that we are encouraged by God to bring all our pain and bring all our struggles to Him. Without an understanding of that, we may be in danger of having a shallow understanding of the gospel. Because we can't offer real hope to people. We can't offer hope to those who suffer without first acknowledging that they are, in fact, suffering. Folks, as Christians, we can't ignore that God has given us a book that is full of songs, full of stories, full of experiences, and also, may I add, experiences experienced by Jesus himself. There are laments poured out to God the Father in the midst of living in a broken world. We can't ignore that. So at Cornerstone Church of Liverpool, we spent eight weeks, eight weeks going through a series looking at and walking through and practicing biblical laments as a church. We wanted to create space to pray and to lament together. Because we came to realize that as a church, we were very anthemic in our singing. If you ever came to Cornerstone Church, it's like the cop. Those who are Liverpool fans, we were like arms, very... And every song was anthemic. It had to start really slow and quiet and end with a big bang, let's do this. And I became conscious that actually there were people who were crawling into church on their faces because of the pain and suffering that they were experiencing. And we weren't creating space in our Sunday services, and we weren't creating space even in our week for, for biblical lament. So we walked through this series, and I want to share with you a couple of things that we learned from that, and I pray this encourages you. i got two questions. The first one is this. Why? lament and the second question is this what if I'm okay now when I said to our church that I only had two points everybody got excited so I just want to let you know that I've got seven sub points to the first question just to, I don't want to lull you into a false sense of security I've come all the way from Liverpool so I'm going to give you what I've got is that okay so why lament see folks lament is a prayer in pain that leads us to trust God. It's a prayer in the midst of our discouragements, in the midst of our suffering, that by God's grace leads us to trust Him. And it's number one, a language for loss. A language for loss. Sometimes we have no words to say what is happening, do we? 
No way of describing how we feel. We believe that all help is trite and it won't help us get out of the black, dark room that pain is and it makes us fearful. Fearful to share with others. Because if we share that with others, we may be proven right regarding having no hope. And sometimes we don't even know how to express that. But biblical lament enables us and gives us the words. It gives us the vocabulary to describe how we are feeling. When pain is as a result of loss or because of our pain, we are at a loss. And God has given us words. Just have a look at that in Psalm 88, verse 14. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face? You see that? This is a guy talking to God. Verses 4 and 5. I am counted among those who have gone down to the pit. And I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more. They are cut off from your hand. This guy is at a loss. He feels cut off. He feels the loss of companions and friends. He feels the loss of God himself. But there is vocabulary here that he is expressing that we who find ourselves in the same place can repeat. Can actually give us language to describe what we are feeling in the midst of our loss. It's a language for loss. Number two, it is a solution for silence. Too many of us are either afraid or we refuse to talk to God about our struggles. For some of us, that might be because of our upbringing. You don't bring that to God. Even though we, we know that to be true, we would never allow that to happen. So many of us were brought up in situations where we need to be reverent towards God. We don't bring all that clutter to Him. No, no. In my day, we would never have seen a guy in trainers preaching. No, we come in reverence. See, some of us, because of our upbringing, are too afraid or refuse to talk to God about our struggles. For some of us, it's shame and it's fear of rejection. But biblical laments, words that are found in the Bible, prayers that are actually in the Word of God, enable the door to talk to God to remain open all the time. It is there. See, as Christians in pain, we believe that God is with us, don't we? We do. We believe that theoretically. We believe that theologically. And folks, can I say, he is with us in our pain. But sometimes we are so angry at him, we remain silent rather than speak to him. Biblical lament enables us to speak to God. Even when we can't speak ourselves. And he has graciously, graciously given us words that break the silence. See, lament enables us to bring the mess of our lives right in front of a gracious God who wants to hear us talk to him about them. It's a solution for silence. Number three, it is a category for complaint. You might be sitting there going, how can I complain to God? It doesn't seem right, does it? How can I complain to God when I'm told to count my blessings one by one? How can I complain to God when I wake up every morning this week to the beautiful mountains that are just down the road and the wonder of his creation? How can I complain to God when I have so much more compared to everybody else? How can I complain to him? It doesn't seem right to me. 
See, biblical lament, as we read through the Psalms, as we read through Lamentations, what we see is that lament helps us to see that complaining to God is not always sinful, folks. It's not always sinful. That in fact, God has given us a category to help us vocalize our pain and vocalize our complaint. See, Psalm chapter 10, verse 1, it starts like this. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? That's a complaint, isn't it? Why do you hide your face in times of trouble? That's a complaint, okay? And can I say this? These weren't said in like a reverent way. Why, O Lord? No, these are shouted at God. Why? And verse 6 of chapter 80, Psalm 88, what does he say? You have put me in the depths of the pit. This is because of you. Verse 8, you have caused my friends to shun me, my companions to shun me. This is because of you. I'm complaining to you. Folks, biblical men enables us to bring our complaints to God, even when it feels abnormal, because what we read in the Word of God is people who are trusting God complaining to Him. And as Christians, folks... Those of us who believe that God is sovereign and is over all, this ena- lament enables us to vocalize the tension that we have in our suffering when we come with our prayer to a God who is over all things. Another psalm, Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, it starts off like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? There's a, there's a complaint. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I ca- take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's a complaint, isn't it? How long? How long? How long? But then in verse 5 of Psalm 13, he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. See, folks, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, if we believe that God is in control of all things, the right person to come to with our complaints is him who is in control of all things. Amen? Going to complain to someone else, we're going to the wrong people. So actually, biblical lament with the complaints of what we are experiencing because of the brokenness of the world, bringing it to the God who is overall, we are bringing them to the right person. See, biblical lament, God graciously has given us in his word words and vocabulary, and a category for our complaints. Number four, why lament? Because it's a framework for our feelings. See, what I love about the Bible, folks, what I love about the God that we love, what I love about the Savior that has came and stepped into the brokenness, that our God deals with reality, not pretense, and not avoidance. He deals with reality. And I don't know if you guys are Christians. I don't know who is a Christian and who isn't. But unfortunately, because of the way that we have been as the church, and maybe that's because we've had to be inappropriately reverent. And maybe it's because of our Britishness and our stiff upper lip and we don't want to show our weakness and we don't want to show our fear and we don't show our struggles and, 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 and when people are asking us if we're all right, they really don't care about that. So we don't really, everybody's okay, everyone's fine, everyone is doing well. And maybe those who don't know Jesus look in and go, well, the church seems sorted to me. Or maybe there are those who look in and maybe you're one of them who've looked in and think, well, actually, when you see Christian people, they just seem to avoid the reality of what is going on. See, the God that we follow, folks, if you're not a Christian, the Savior that we love, 
deals with reality, not pretense and avoidance. And the reality of our circumstances and our experiences that we all face in life often can become a hermeneutic and we don't even realize. What does that mean? They often become the lens by which we make sense of the world. What we are feeling in the moment because of circumstances. And we use those feelings to interpret life. And those emotions and those feelings we experience, what we've got to remember is that they're not static because one week we could be feeling fantastic. It could be amazing. And you're praising God for the blessings and everything's fine, but the next week our feelings could be rock bottom and it completely changes everything. So if the, our feelings are the hermeneutic by which we make sense of, 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 the, of the world, we're, we're going to be on a rocky road. But the problem is, because we don't know what to do with our feelings often, what has happened is there has been a pendulum swing to the other end that actually we, we sort of, even though we say that we have feelings and their feelings are written there, we want to shun our feelings and we need to have hope in God. We need to throw our anchor down in, in the sure, steady foundation of who Jesus is and we need to crack on. About nine years ago, I preached a sermon at Cornerstone Church, Liverpool, which was entitled this. Don't trust your feelings. It's the worst sermon I've ever preached. You won't find it, so don't go look for it. It's gone. And basically, the premise of the sermon was this. Don't trust your feelings, trust God. Don't trust your feelings, trust God. See, if we as Christian people move to that pendulum and we seek to ignore our feelings... We can move away from the truth of how people feel. And people will fail to see that the Bible doesn't offer a sanitized view of life. It offers a real view of life. See, as you read through the Bible, folks, it's full of dark, painful stories, isn't it? It's full of people who are reacting in all sorts of different ways, circumstances, emotions, and feelings. See, biblical lament gives us a framework for our feelings, how we are feeling. I don't know, as we read through Psalm 88, if that is you, it's like, that's how I feel. I've had no way of describing it, but God graciously has even given me language this morning. That's how I feel. But folks, I still want to give the caution as we think about our feelings in the midst of bringing that in the midst of our pain and suffering. The feelings are a gauge, but they're not our guide. They're a gauge. They're a gauge to what's going on in our hearts. They're a gauge to what's going on in our lives. They're a gauge, they're, they're a gauge to what we are putting our trust in. But if we use them as arbiter of truth, we will end up on a rocky road. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon that said this, never ridicule the nervous and the hypochondriac. Their pain is real. Though much of the evil lies in their imagination, it is not imaginary. What they feel is real. Folks, can I say this? Feelings are so important. They're so important. And our feelings are elevated in the truth of God's word. We have a whole book called Psalms that are about the feelings of humanity. Amen? We have a full book of Lamentations where a guy is wrestling with the brokenness and the sin of God's people and what is happening to them. He is feeling that. They reveal our loves, our trusts, our fears. 
And God, by his spirit and his word, sets us free to neither deny personal honesty, how we feel, nor equate truth to such honesty. What's wonderful about the Bible is that we're able to have an understanding of where our feelings are or even have these feelings. And as we read the word of God, we're able to pour out these feelings to a God who is sovereign and over all. Can I encourage you folks, in the midst of your pain and suffering, pay attention to your feelings. Please, pay attention to them. But you must not live as if your feelings are the supreme arbiter of truth. Biblical lament, taking those feelings in and through God's word, enable us to walk this. Why lament, number five? It's a process for our pain. See, lament is not just recognizing the stages of our grief or the stages of loss. Lament is God inviting us to walk on a journey. So as you read through the Psalms, and this one, Psalm 88, we'll get to it soon. Don't worry, it's a long introduction, isn't it? So what you see is in all the Psalms of lament, they, who do they turn to first? They turn to God. They don't stay in the midst of their despair. They actually take their despair and turn to him. And in turning to him, they complain. They complain to him. They lay out their complaints. And in laying out their complaints, they ask him for help. And as they ask him for help, they choose to trust. See, lament is a prayer and pain that leads us to complain, ask, and trust God. One of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 22, which the Lord Jesus shouts out from the cross. What does he say? It's right at the beginning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see that? Who does he turn to? God. My God. What does he do then? He complains. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away from me? And then verses 19 and 20 of Psalm 22. But you, O Lord, he makes a request. Don't be far away. Help me. Come quickly to my aid. And at the end of Psalm 22, he declares his trust. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Now, folks, in the process for our pain, as we turn to God, complain, ask, and we trust him, sometimes we struggle. The complaint area, once we break out of that barrier that God knows in any way, is quite easy. The request bit is quite easy. But the trust bit is even difficult. But what's wonderful is that God has even given us language to proclaim our trust in him. We choose to trust the God of our salvation in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the suffering. Why lament? Because it's a process for pain. Why lament number six? Because it is a way to worship. See, asking lament questions doesn't sound much like worship, does it? Doesn't really. Sadly, sometimes for some of us church, and I mentioned it before, Cornerstone Liverpool Church is a pick-me-up. I want to pick-me-up. When sometimes I just want to be recognized because my face is on the ground. I want people to get on the ground with me. I want people to put their face in the dirt with me. I want people to cry with me. I want people to not even speak, just be present. And one thing I want us to remember as we look at Psalm 88, that this is a song. And it was a song written for God's people to sing together. It was mentioned before, the guy who wrote Psalm 88, his name was Heman. 
And it wasn't the He-Man from the 1980s that if you're over 35, you'll remember. You know, the guy with the nice little bob, but loads of muscles and the, big, the battles of Grayskull. Not that He-Man. This guy was the son of Korah, one of the sons of Korah. He was a worship leader. His job was to take God's people into the temple. And as they went into the temple, they were to praise together. And this was one of the Psalms. A psalm where He-Man is facing despair, forsaken by God, without friends. He's lost. He's lost. He thinks that he's been lost by God in all them, and he's crying out. Why do bad things always happen and nothing ever changes? Is that you this morning? Is that how you feel? See, why don't you put yourself in his shoes? Let's look at it. Put your heads down at the passage. Psalm 88. Put yourself in his shoes. Do you, like him, are in deep despair for whatever reason? I don't know. Maybe you feel like dying, like him. Verses 3 and 5, you, maybe like him, you feel like you've got nothing left. I've got nothing left, and I just feel alone. Maybe like the way he puts it in 6 and 7, that you feel forsaken by God. You feel that God has put you in the depths of the pit. You feel his wrath. Maybe verses 8, you've lost your friends. Maybe, maybe you feel that you've become tedious to those who are closest to you. Do you feel that they don't want to know you anymore? You feel trapped and you feel helpless. Maybe like him, verses 9 to 12, you feel as though you're dying and you're crying out for help and nobody is coming. People see you, but they don't see you. Maybe even verses 13 and 14, you feel as though God has turned his back on you. Maybe life for you, verses 15 and 17, is just like him and you just feel like bad things always happen and nothing seems to change. And verse 18, you like him, feel that you wake up into a dark world every day and your closest companion is darkness itself. Maybe that's you this morning. See, does it bother you that this psalm doesn't end with a, but thanks be to God for, his, for who he is and what he's done? Does that bother you? It bothers me, to be honest, <laughs> a little bit. It unsettles me a little bit as I read that. I, I just need to be honest, it does. And the reason why it bothers me and unsettles me is because when I read in this, what it shows to me is the reality of the brokenness of the world that I am living in. And I, as a Christian person, are longing to be taken home to a world where there is no pain and suffering. So it unsettles me in that way. But I'm thankful to God that he has given me words to describe my own pain and my own suffering, and I pray you see that too. See, some of the encouragements for th from this is that we actually see that God understands the full range of human experience. Folks, it's not always about happiness. Most of the time, it's about brokenness and joy and peace found in the midst of that. We have a God who understands the full range of human experiences. 
As we read this, as those who are this side of the cross and resurrection, we are encouraged that actually the promised Redeemer, the one who came, the Lord Jesus Christ, has stepped into a world where things like this happen. Things like this happen. He leaves the throne room of heaven to step into the brokenness where people feel forsaken by him. We should be encouraged as we read this because we see God's honesty to to the realities of life in this world. And we should be encouraged that God himself is inviting us to bring all that we experience into his presence. We should be encouraged by this because God himself is not distant, but totally understand. And as we read his words, what is being described is a world that we all recognize. Folks, I want to encourage you, as we read something like Psalm 88, what we read is the reality of the world that we live in. Amen? But also as we read this, we read what it reveals about the guy's heart as he says these things. Verse 1, he cares about what God thinks because he's turning to him. Verse 2, he cares about prayer. Let my prayer come to you. Verse 6, he recognizes that God is in control of all this. That's why he's going to him. But he also recognizes, verse 7, that God is holy and he has a holy wrath against brokenness and against sin. Verses 5 and 8. This man cares about God's people. He cares about the community. He cares that he feels alone and he feels isolated. And verses 15 and 16, he recognizes that he is weak. He embraces and recognizes his weakness. See what it reveals about his heart? See, as we walk through the mental Cornerstone Church Liverpool, what we found is that people were actually, as they were coming to him with their complaints and their requests, it was revealing to them that they actually did trust God. They did trust him. They were crying out to him in prayer. They did recognize him as sovereign in all that he was. That they were recognizing their own weaknesses because often their own issues and their own suffering became, came about because they thought that they could sort it. They thought that they had to have it all together. When the reality was God was there saying, bring it all to me. And the process of lament, turning, complaining, asking and trusting God revealed so much about our hearts as a church. But the greatest encouragement as we read through this is, like I said before, that this is a song. And that he, man, and his mates, the sons of Korah, would lead God's people into the temple. Would lead God's people into the place where the presence of God was. So they led God's people singing a song like this, coming right into the presence of God. See, what does that mean? What it shows is that God intended the darkest human lament to be brought together with the brightest human hope. See, for them, when this was written, the, the, the wonderful hope that they would see all the time is the animals being sacrificed and their blood being shed to atone for the sins of God's people. Folks, as you walk into church every week, as you gather with God's people, as you share communion, what is being presented to you is the wonderful and the brightest hope that can be the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, who left the throne room of heaven, stepped into the brokenness, becomes sin in our place, and takes that in our place. And we, with all our mess and all our sin, can pour it at the foot of the cross and be completely forgiven by God because of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has 
died on the cross and risen again, conquering sin, death, and hell. That is the brightest hope that any human can have. And we are encouraged to bring all our brokenness, all our mess, all our complaints, all our requests, all our pain, all our struggling right there. That should be encouraging for us. We don't have to put on the Sunday best. We don't have to have the big stiff, uh, stiff, stiff lip, whatever, stiff upper lip. We don't have to have that. It should encourage us because the honest expressions of fear, pain, and doubt will welcome into the place of worship, atonement, and forgiveness. We should be encouraged because the mess of human misery was welcomed into the place of glorious grace. I said to our folks at Cornerstone Liverpool, sometimes you just need to get on the floor and crawl into church because that's how you feel. Because that's where you're at. And sometimes we've just got to get on the floor with other people. When people aren't raising their hands, we shouldn't be looking, why are they doing that? When people aren't singing at the top of their voices, we shouldn't be asking, what's the matter with them? You know what I mean? They might have joined their heart, but the face needs to catch up. The Church of Jesus Christ should be a place where the brightest hope is presented, the Lord Jesus himself. And people come with all their brokenness in their mess. Whether that's skipping in or crawling in, this was the intention of this psalm. And it's God saying, God shouting, come as you are with all your doubts, fears, pains, worries, anxieties, discouragements. It's God saying, hold them all up before me, all your shattered dreams, all your shattered hopes. Come and find redemption and rest when there is none to be found. Because folks, can I say that? You will not find rest for your souls anywhere else apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not find anywhere where there is a process to make sense of your pain and suffering outside of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why lament? Because it's a way to worship. Question number two. Don't worry, it's much shorter. But Steve, what if I'm okay? What if I'm okay? What if on the spectrum of the effects of lockdown is I'm at the Zoom fatigue? That's the, the biggest burden I had. In fact, I sort of liked being at home. Nobody bothering us. It was lovely. Me and the family. You know what I mean? We didn't have to be hospitable. It was wonderful. Maybe I'm at that end. It didn't really affect us. In fact, Steve, my business absolutely took off. It was a blessing. What if I'm Okay. It's interesting that this Bible is given to us all. It's God's word that is proclaimed to all. That is God's word that is breathed out, that is profitable for all. So even as we read Psalm 88, and well, well, that's not me. We are called to, to lament so we can weep with those who weep. We're called to lament so that we can get on the floor with those who are on the floor and we can pray for them and with them. So if you're okay, read these lament psalms so you can weep with those who weep and practice the ministry of presence. Be those who show up and shut up and pray. Number two, we will, if you're okay, I want you to be aware of lamenting and biblical lament and prayer so when seasons of suffering come, we know where to go. 
about seven and a half years ago, we had a news, uh, we had news that rocked our world to do with our, our daughter. A month before, I preached a series on suffering, not thinking at all that we would suffer the way that we did as a family. See, if you're okay, read the Lament Psalms so when seasons of suffering come, because it will, folks, you know where to go. Number three, if you're okay, maybe it's because your eyes are closed to the reality of the brokenness of the world that you live in. Maybe you need to open your eyes. Maybe you need to lift your head. Maybe we need to stop navel-gazing and just see the brokenness of the person that is even sitting next to us. The brokenness of what is being experienced in this church, the brokenness of what is being experienced in Rafa Island and the surrounding areas, the brokenness of what we see in the world every single day. Maybe the reason why you feel that you are okay is because you're blind to the reality of the world that you're living in. See, the process of lament actually gives us the eyes that God has as he sees the world. The process of Lent actually shows us the heart that God has towards the effects that people are experiencing because of sin and the brokenness of the world. Maybe we need to open our eyes. And if you're there saying, what if I'm okay? Can I remind you that the, hu the one human being who can only say that he is truly okay, the Lord Jesus, he lamented. When he heard that his friend Lazarus had died, when his two sisters ran to him and said, if you'd have been here, this would not have happened, how does he respond? He cries. Jesus, who was sinless, Jesus, who was perfect, Jesus, fully God, fully man, Jesus, who lived as a human being in, in ways that nobody has lamented, he cried. Whilst on the cross, what does he shout out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He laments. Yet yeah, I know he was quoting David so everybody would understand who he was, but he still said it. He still cried it out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That in the garden, before he dies, what does he say? Father, if there is another way, take this cup from me. He doesn't want to go through it. And Isaiah 53 tells us this, that he was despised and rejected by men, but he was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. He understands pain. He knew and experienced the brokenness of the world and he lamented. Folks, how can we say that we are okay when the one who was truly okay brought his laments to the Father? because of the effects of the brokenness of the world. See, we have a savior, Jesus. One who is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for busted up broken people like you and me. Reigning at the Father's side in complete perfection, but still bearing the scars of his torture. He knows our grief. He knows our suffering. And even he lamented at the brokenness of the world. We have a God, we have a Savior who is not distant. 
And we have one who says, bring all your pain and all your suffering and all your biblical lament prayers to me. Come boldly to the throne room of grace with all your mess. And I will take it. And I will carry it. In all my sufferings, please know this. In all your sufferings, please know this. Jesus walks with us. Jesus carries us. Jesus helps us as we lament towards him and towards the Father. And we do that knowing that there is a day coming soon when he will appear and the clouds will be driven away and the mysteries of this life will all be made clear and we will rest in the judgment of that day. See, what do you do when you're down? What do you do when you're sad? What do you do when you're breaking inside? When there are dark clouds all day and you can't seem to pray and you just want to run and hide. You must believe. You must believe. You must believe even when you cannot see because you believe in the sun when, when it doesn't shine. You believe in the songs when they don't rhyme. So believe in your God and rest in his love. And know from his word that he is too wise to act as a fool. He is too kind to do anything cruel. And he is too great to make a mistake. Cornerstone Church, my dear friends, who I love so much, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, bringing to God who says, come to me. And give voice to your pain. As you read through biblical laments that help us come to a father who loves his children to run to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are not distant, but you are standing with your arms open wide, calling your kids who are struggling because of the brokenness of the world, to run to you. We thank you that you've given us words and vocabulary to do that. We thank you that your book of life is full of the honest realities of the world that we find ourselves in. And we praise and we thank you that you've been so kind to give us these words. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I don't know their situations. I, I don't know what their struggles are. I, I don't know where they find themselves. But what I do know is that you want them to bring all their pain and their suffering individually and collectively together to you. And Father, I pray that you will meet them there in that for your glory's sake. I want to thank you for Cornerstone Church. I want to thank you for their leaders. I want to thank you for John and Julie and the family. I want to thank you for this town. And I pray that by your spirit you will move in ways that are unimaginable. We ask, Lord, that these people will be ready to answer the questions that so many people have because of what has been experienced in the world in the last 18 months. I pray, Lord, that they would rejoice in such a way that actually and live in such a way in the midst of their reality with a peace that surpasses understanding that provokes questions amongst friends and neighbors and you would save those people. Thank you that we don't have to be something else, that all we have to be is who we are in you. And you welcome us just as we are. I want to thank you for that, and we praise you for that. Bless us and keep us, make your face shine upon us, we pray. And I pray in whatever pain and 
suffering we are experiencing, that we will know that peace and that joy that surpasses all understanding. For your glory's sake, I pray these things.